Uh, given the, uh, the first reading from today, I thought it would be a, uh, an opportune time to give a, a short catechesis on uh, the third chapter of Genesis, specifically uh, regarding the fall, uh, right? the fall of, of man, the fall of Adam and Eve. And at the outset, um, when looking at the, you know, the creation story, the, um, the first really 11 chapters of Genesis, we have to sort of understand what kind of literature is this, right? Uh, when, when dealing, because, you know, do we take it literally? Do we understand it literally? Um, it doesn't speak of, uh, certainly it doesn't really reconcile itself with what we we clearly understand with regarding archaeology, etc. You know, where do dinosaurs come from? Um, there are still many people who, who think that actually that Martians uh, planted the, the bones of dinosaurs because they're not in the book of Genesis, which is, if you think about it, kind of crazy that they would believe in Martians, but that they would don't believe in dinosaurs. I, I talked about that in, in Ashfork, and, and I said, and I presume that all of those people who believe in Martians planting dinosaur bones live in Ashfork, and they said, no, they, li they live in Seligman. Um, so I don't know how I'm going to deal with that tomorrow morning. But um, Okay, so the first thing we need to remember is that, you know, a, a primitive culture without books, right, and, and without an ability to have a written tradition remembers th things through an oral tradition. They tell stories about about how things happened, right? And they tell stories about, just like, you know, we might tell stories about Aunt Sally and Uncle Bob and, you know, what happened with, within our, you know, within, within our own families and such. A, a, uh, a culture will tell stories about what happened from centuries and centuries ago. They'll tell stories that convey truth, you know, real things that happened, but, but they'll tell them in, in, a, in a story form that, doesn't really, you know, hit upon historical fact, but still conveys the truth of what happened, okay? Now, the technical term for this that the church uses is called historical myth, which is to say that it conveys truth, but it conveys it in sort of allegory, okay? So that there wasn't really a Garden of Eden, all right? And that shouldn't scare us that there wasn't a Garden of Eden. But there, there, what the Garden of Eden represents was that the first persons who were created were created in a harmony with God. You know, a state of, of harmony with God that did not, you know, the sin did not exist. That there was this union with God that, that, they, that they experienced. Um, that there wasn't a specific uh, a tree for instance, uh, in the middle of the garden, that the specific tree and what kind of fruit of it is irrelevant, that the tree represents something else, right? The serpent represents something, it's, it's irrelevant, but what it conveys is truth. And, and let me explain what that is. All right, so Adam and Eve are created in the image and likeness of God. And what that means is they're created with certain powers of the soul that the other animals don't have. Namely, they're created with intellect and will. Right? They have the ability to know, right? they have reason, and they have the ability to choose. They have free will. All right? um, and so the very fact that God can 
can give them law, can say don't do this and do this, means they have the freedom to do that or not do that. Because he doesn't give those sort of commands to the animals. Right? He doesn't give the commands to the, to the llama, do this or don't do that. Because the llama can't choose. The llama just acts according to instinct. But to the man and to the woman, he gives commands because the, the man and the woman can act according to, to their free will. Right? They, can, they can choose. And so Adam and Eve, originally created, had not yet sinned. Right? And so they're in the garden. Right? They're in this original harmony with God. And God says, look, you can eat of everything in the garden. I give you all of this freedom. I give you all of this goodness. There's so much goodness in this relationship we have. But there's limitations on your freedom because you are the created. I am the creator. There's no limitations on my freedom. I'm God. But there's limitations on your freedom. And one of these limitations is represented by the the tree, the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. And the limitation of your freedom is don't eat of the fruit of that. Don't eat of that fruit of it or you will die. Okay, so as we know, just like with any child, as soon as you say, don't do it, (laughs) as soon as you say, don't do it, there's an immediate, huh, I never noticed that tree before, but now I really, boy, I really like that tree. (laughs) That tree looks really interesting to me, and now I'm, Now I'm really focused on that tree and I really wonder what that fruit tastes like, you know. Um, And and all of a sudden, well, what does that mean? Gosh, the knowledge of good and evil. What does that mean? And so Eve is around the tree and the serpent comes and starts to tempt her about eating of that fruit. You know, well, why can't you eat of that fruit? Well, that God said not to. Well, why did he say not to? Well, he said not to because we would die. And the serpent, and classically, we, we, uh, um, although it's, it's not clear necessarily, but classically we, we say the serpent is Satan. All right, fine. Um, so the serpent says, well, you surely will not die. And the thing about temptation is that there's always a little bit of truth in the temptation. It's true that by eating of the fruit, they wouldn't die as if the fruit were poisonous. You know, like they would just immediately die, like it were rat poison or something. They would just fall over and die. But in, when, you read, um, when, you, when, you, when you read the narrative, the, the idea of death is really about the relationship between Adam and Eve and God. The death that will occur is the death of the intimacy between Adam and Eve. And ultimately, the death of their own bodies the death that will will be incurred because of the sin. So they will die. But the temptation is, well, you won't die immediately. So there's a little bit of truth in the temptation, just like there's a little bit of truth in every temptation, which is the allure of sin. Because nobody would sin if there wasn't a perception of a little bit of good in the sin. That's why we keep doing the same thing over and over. and, And we say to ourselves, well, maybe this time it'll be pretty good. And then we do it and we say, no, it was still really bad. I thought it would be good this time. And we do it again and we feel horrible. And then it comes up again. Well, maybe it'll be different. Maybe it'll, you know, there's a little bit of good in it. 
Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. Right? There's a little bit of lie in it. There's a little bit of truth in it, however. If there wasn't, we wouldn't sin. And so with, with the serpent, there's a little bit of truth. Yes, it's true, you won't die immediately. But that wasn't what God meant. You will die insofar as the relationship will collapse. And, and what Satan tempts, the serpent tempts, is, well... God doesn't want you to have what he has. You see, because once you eat of the fruit, you will be like God. And so what, what the serpent stirs up in Adam and Eve is envy. Envy. Because if they can know good and evil, they can be like God. They can determine good from evil. They can determine for themselves what is good from evil. They can be like God, knowing good from evil. This is why God limited their freedom from, from this particular tree. Because, and this is what the tree stands for, is a limitation on their freedom. This is why they ought not eat of the tree. This is why they ought not desire that fruit because by desiring that fruit they're desiring for themselves what belongs properly to God. God who is infinite is the one who determines good from evil, not man, not the created. The created does not determine good from evil, that that it only belongs solely to God. Do you see so that the tree is a limitation on man's freedom. And so when man starts to desire what belongs to God, he steps out of what is properly his. He wants to become God, essentially. He wants to become postmodern man. He wants to become, you know, relativist, relativistic or sub subjective man, which is exactly what we see now. This original sin plays itself out all throughout history over and over and over. It is the sin of today. People want to determine right from wrong. It shows up all throughout history. It is original sin. And so you go back, it goes right back to the garden. It's this desire to be God. This is the original temptation of Adam and Eve. They desire to be like God, knowing good from evil, determining it for themselves. Okay. So, they eat the fruit. And then we get, we get to this first reading here. We're coming up on it. And then we're told that God is walking through the garden during the cool part of the day. And Adam is hiding. Adam and Eve are hiding from God. Which is ridiculous. Now every other day, they would walk with God through the garden. Today they're hiding from God. They're hiding from God. Is it, is it registered? They're hiding from God. Like that you can hide from God. Like he doesn't, they're playing hide and seek from God. God always wins that game. Right? <laughs> so today, he's hiding from God. You know? And so, this is where it picks up. After the man, Adam, had eaten of the tree, the Lord called out, where are you? They're hiding from God. Which is exactly what we do when we sin. We think we need to hide from God. We stop praying. We stop going to church. You know, we stay away because we're ashamed. 
Adam answers, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. I was naked. Then God asked him, who told you you were naked? Like, when did this come into your mind? You've always been naked. You had no concept of being clothed. You've always been this way. And all of a sudden, the light bulb, you're naked now? What does that represent? His nakedness. All of a sudden, he has this idea that God sees him naked. What has to do with him? He's now ashamed. He's now sinned against God, and now he feels ashamed of his relationship with God. Because now, you know how you feel? Have you ever felt like somebody sees right through you? Or have you ever, you know, like, um, I don't know if you remember when you were a kid, or maybe you don't have to remember that far, but when you, <laughs> when you know you've done something wrong to somebody, but they don't know it yet, but then they look at you like you feel like they know it, but you don't know that they know it? <laughs> and you feel like they're looking right through you? I think that's kind of what Adam felt. Like he's, God's looking right through him, and you, he feels naked. It's not just that he's naked, because he's always been naked. There's no clothes in existence yet. It's not like there's a store with clothes. There's no clothes. So there's no concept of being clothed. That nakedness is this now changed relationship. He's now ashamed because he's, he knows that he's, not, he's no longer in communion with God. He's broken this relationship. And so God said, who told you you were naked? You have eaten then from the tree of which I've forbidden you to eat. The eating of the fruit isn't what made him aware of his nakedness. It's the breaking of the commandment. It's the change of relationship which has brought this about. So how does Adam react? How do we see the sin change relationship? How do we see this, this sin, right, this disobedience change relationship? God says, you ate of the fruit. And so just like every man, what does he do? Does he take responsibility? No. He blames God first. The woman who you put here with me she gave me the fruit. <laughs> he blames God first, then he blames his wife. The woman who you put me here, put here with me, <laughs> you, you gave me this woman, number one. I was fine till you gave me her. <laughs> and then she gave me the fruit, so I ate it. What was I to do? She gave me the fruit. So then the Lord God, Asked the woman, why did you do such a thing? You'd think maybe she would take responsibility. She did not. She passed the buck as well. The serpent tricked me into it, so I ate it. So what do we find? Right? What, what is the truth? Again, it's all about the truth being conveyed. The man doesn't take responsibility. He blames God. He blames his wife. And his wife blames the serpent. No one takes responsibility. And we see immediately how sin, you know, changes all of these relationships. Initially, God and Adam and Eve have this harmony. 
this love that exists between them, this communion, this unity that exists, this unity of love that exists with all of creation. And through the disobedience, through, through the desire of Adam and Eve to, to go outside of what God has commanded, to, to desire for themselves what should only be reserved for God, to claim for themselves what is God's alone, it ruins their relationship with God. And then it also ruins their relationship with each other. They blame each other. They don't take responsibility, right? And I mean, it, this still continues to this day. Husbands blame their wives. Wives blame their husbands. We blame God. On and on and on. There is so much truth conveyed. And so where do we go from here? Well, I think... First of all, just the clear recognition that sin has this pervasive effect and has a ruinous effect on a relationship with God and with one another. We have to be sober about that and recognize the damage that, that is done. But the good news that Jesus Christ has set it right, that he offers himself on the altar every single day, reconciling us, over and over and over that this mess is not the end of the story that the mess we make of our lives is not the end of the story that every day we can be forgiven that his mercy is greater than all of the many ways we find to mess up our lives that God can always find a way to bring us mercy and to fix what we find so many ways to mess up. Please stand.